from Smashing the Plateau, I'm David Schreiner Khan with Going Solo. In this show, we discuss building your own successful business after a late career job loss. If you come out of a situation like that and you're forced into doing something else for whatever those reasons are, personally or professionally, you're not going to make the right decision. So I wanted to have the flexibility, the foresight, and the planning to be able to make a choice that I knew would be best for me and my family, something that I would enjoy. Today on episode 40 of Going Solo, I'm speaking with Dennis Boyle. Dennis moved up the corporate ladder for 25 years before the company he led was suddenly shut down. Too often, major disruptions outside our control can upend our career and our income. In this episode, Dennis shares how, in spite of the abrupt end to his job, he was able to plan the start of his entrepreneurial endeavor carefully enough to ensure long-term well-being for himself and his family. Stay with us to hear all the details. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Now let's welcome Dennis Boyle. Dennis has over 25 years of experience with large corporations such as DuPont, Dade Baring, and Siemens AG, as well as, well as startup companies such as Excellence Bioscience and MedTest DX. Dennis's experience include both sales and marketing, and he has held multiple senior executive roles in business development, corporate accounts, strategic management, corporate and commercial training and development, private equity, and operations. In his last role, Dennis served as president of Spectra 254. Then in early 2017, Dennis purchased a licensing agreement from Sales Acceleration. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thanks, David. So Dennis, what prompted your transition in 2017? Yeah, great question. So I was running a firm down in Danbury, Connecticut called Spectra 254, um, at this point in my career, it was it was probably my dream job. And then, as things happen, similar to our current environment now with environment with COVID nineteen, I got a call on a Sunday night from the uh, lead attorney at the company, and said that the chief financing person for our company had had become very sick and had thirty days to live. And so, um, while that you know, it was very sad and tragic. I, I didn't think that we would have to fold the company, but what ended up happening was he he passed away 30 days later. His wife passed away two weeks after that. Oh my God. And and so what ended up happening is I learned very quickly from the attorneys that the patents, um, all of the intellectual property was really in his name, almost like a sole proprietorship. And so we didn't know if we would be able to unravel the patents and protections and everything that was put into place to be able to actually manufacture and sell the product. So very quickly, they decided, because they were managing the trust for you know all of his wealth and income and assets, they decided to shut the company down. So I was kicked out on the street, maybe the only person um, that you talked to in a while who had uh, the chance to fire himself from his own company. And I see like so many parallels to what's going on today, because A, this happened with no warning, no preparation, or very minimal preparation. B, it was really unclear whether the company could open up again, or if it did open up, what it would be like and under what circumstances. And C, it was pretty clear that even if it were to reopen, there would probably be a 
quite a bit of time to figure out under what circumstances it could reopen. Oh, you're exactly correct. You, you know, the interesting thing about it is, is that if that company was was open and, and viable today, the product that we sold was a product through ultraviolet light that killed viruses and bugs like the coronavirus. So it's, it's you know, interesting, but, you know, it was very, very difficult situation and one that uh, I hope that I've learned from and prepared for the future as a result of it. Yeah, so I think there are probably lots of lessons in this episode for folks going through a very similar kind of circumstances right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say a couple of things. You, you know, I tell companies that I work with right now, the best advice that I can give them, irrespective of whether they hire me or they don't, but to write down every day something that, they would have never thought about previously due to the situation they're in. Because I think that the most important lesson along the way here, whether it's this or the situation that I had is, you know, something's going to happen again. So what are you going to learn so that you don't make that same mistake again, or you don't get put in that same position? And how do you prepare? Exactly. Exactly. So given your own experience and seeing what people are struggling with right now, what did it feel like for you, like right in that beginning period? Oh, it was awful. The worst part about it that I experienced with Spectro was not my personal situation. You know, I, I was financially and, and, and at a stage of my life where I was, I was doing okay so I could weather the storm. But the responsibility that you have towards other people, you know, I had to, in a day, fire 55 people and announce to a number of different distributors and people that we worked with in the medical industry that we were no longer going to do business. And, and um, that, was, that was tough for me, very tough. So that in and of itself, you're delivering bad news that affects hundreds, thousands, or more of people. Yeah. You know, besides, you know, the fact that there are 55 people that, um, that were with the company, you know, as you build your own team, and as president of that company, a lot of those people are some of your close contacts and people that you've trusted throughout your career. So as you bring those people in, they've made commitments and they've changed their family lives and their personal lives, you know, because of their loyalty to you. And, and while this was something that was outside my control, you know, I took it upon myself as a result of that, that you know, at least for my executive team of eight people, what I did is I took six months. And, and my goal was to have every one of them employed somewhere else because that was the minimum that I could do. I personally was involved in their interview processes, in contacting companies on their behalf, because I wouldn't have felt good coming out the other end of it if they had lost their jobs as a result of what had happened and I did nothing for them. So I spent that six months and that's what I did is to help them get jobs. And in addition to the like the the tactical steps that you took to try to take care of people you cared about, what did you do for yourself to to try to deal with the stress and the emotional fallout of having to deal with this whole disruption? Yeah, gr great question. You know, I, I think that when something like that happens, you never really know how it's going to affect you or how long it's going to take. But I did know this, is that uh, well, two really two dynamics. One, I knew that I would come out the other end of it if I knew that I did the very best job that I could to make sure that those those folks, as well as everybody else within the company, that I did my best to keep in contact with them to get 
to get a job. So I knew that that guilt would be relieved that way. The second thing is, is that I took it as an opportunity. You know, everything that happens in life, there's an opportunity associated with, um, you know, the heartache. And I had worked very, very hard. I never had taken much time off. So what I did, you know, my wife kind of demanded it. And I think she was right. I took time off to do some things that I had not had the opportunity to do in my life. So I knew I needed to take other take care of other people who had worked with me. I knew that I needed to take care of my family. And, and it, you know, if I couldn't, I needed to go right back to work. But if I had the wherewithal to take some time off, I knew I needed to take care of myself because you can't go through something like that, I think. And immediately after such heartache and then jump into something else and think that you're going to be square with your mind, body, and soul. So I took the time off and I did some crazy stuff just to things that I hadn't had an opportunity to do, almost like a sabbatical. So I'd come out and be refreshed and not look back. The worst thing you can do is look back when something like that happens. You have to look forward. Yeah. So what what were some of the crazy things you did? Oh boy, I don't know if I should say all these on your podcast, but um, (laughs) if they're if they're legal or whatever. But uh, no, seriously. So um, I coached my son's baseball team. Second thing is, I always wanted to get back into uh, taking a foreign language, so I took German classes. I took harmonica lessons, and then the two of the things that I did to give back, I I became very involved in the New Hampshire military mentoring and coaching program for former military men and women. Uh, who come out and are transitioning into civilian life. So I did that. And then um, the other thing that I did is I I, I worked with a local police department to set up uh, a two-acre plot of land that I farmed and got going um, to provide uh, vegetables in the summer for families of need. And I still manage that to this day. Wow. And um, once you were ready to come out of the sabbatical, what were some of the techniques that you used to figure out what would be coming next? Um, you know, I, well, there are a couple of things. So, so I think personally, I think my family, my wife said, you really need to get out of the house. So that was a good, indica- <laughs> good indication. You, you know, that, that they, they kind of said, you know, I think they saw in me seriously that, you know, through those months and giving back and doing some things for myself and getting a perspective that that I was ready. So I, I relied on my family. And once they said, you really need to go back out and work, that was a, a good indicator. The second thing is, is that I had always prepared and had always had my eye on potentially going off on my own. So, and this started probably seven or eight years ago. And so I put some money aside. I had done some consulting work. I had done some things outside to really look at what is it that I would want to do? I had done some teaching, some guest speaking. And so I had some, uh, you know, things in the fire already. So I, I think I did a good job of preparing for it. And and to be honest with you, it probably wasn't because of the foresight that I had. I had relied on what my father had done at the same age, you know, in his 50s, had gotten laid off from McGraw Hill after 30 years of working there and what he did to transition. And, and he had prepared himself to be able to give himself choices. And that's the most important lesson that I learned coming out of it is that if you come out of a situation like that and you're forced into doing something else for whatever those reasons are, personally or professionally, you're not going to make the right decision. So I wanted to have the flexibility, the foresight, and the planning to be able to make a choice that I knew would be best for me and my family, something that I would enjoy. Now, in your case, you mentioned that you had the financial wherewithal 
to look at alternatives and make a choice that you felt was a good strategic choice that you were making with the right ingredients for the decision-making process. Lots of people, especially today, their work is disrupted, their income is disrupted, and they may not have the financial runway to be able to make a decision without feeling like they're being forced into something. Are there, based on your own experience, are there suggestions that you have for folks going through this now that might help them come out the other side by taking advantage of some of these opportunities that do exist, even in a very challenging time, there are always new opportunities. But but are there ways that you think people can make better decisions even when they're feeling very distressed? Right. Well, I, I think there's three or four buckets there. So So one is, from a financial perspective, no matter who you are or where you are, you should always have in reserve, if you can, six months of income to be able to cover yourself. So whether that's possible or not, that's that's number one on the list. So if you can do that, do that. The second thing is is that, and I learned this a long time ago, a long time ago, from somebody. You know, I had spent twenty years at Siemens. I never thought about interviewing anywhere else. I thought that that's where I was going to, you know, be all end all and finish my life there. And somebody said something to me along the way. He said, you know, if you're not interviewing or thinking about something else to do on an annual basis, just to keep yourself relevant and on top of what's going on, then you're making a big mistake. So said another way, I think that people should always prepare for the other step and never, ever think that what they're doing right now and how they're doing it is going to last forever. Too many variables are outside your control. You need to think about that. I think three, especially as you get older, is you know what really makes you happy? I know that sounds, everybody says that, but as you get older, what you want to spend more time around is what's going to make you happy because, you know, you're going to be passionate about that work. And I think, you know, those three things are important. And then I I think, you know, the fourth thing is, is that uh, what are you good at, right? And what, what services or things that you've done in your life can, even when things are bad, can prove to be good for somebody else. So think of today, right? You know, there are a lot of companies that are hurting. What you don't hear a lot about is there are a lot of companies that are really doing well because they just happen to have a product or service or something or have pivoted very quickly to be able to access those areas of need. As Warren Buffett said years ago with investments, and it's true in life, and it's true with markets, and it's true with downturns, it's true with everything else. Look for the opportunities not where don't spend your time with the people who are going down. Find out the people who are going up, or the companies that are going up, or where those upper uh, up opportunities are, and you'll thrive. And don't you know? Put aside the pressure and how you feel and everything else, and you'll be okay. And and there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. So how did you answer these questions for yourself, Dennis? And when, where, where did you end up? Uh, when I was transitioning from yeah. Spectre, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, from a financial perspective, I had always put aside enough money to be able to handle being out of work because here, here's the reality. The higher up you move in the food chain or the worse the economy is, there's a multiple of time that it takes you to get a, a, another job. So when the economy was really good two months ago, you could call up a recruiter, let's say for a sales position and, and be in a new role in 30 days, right? But that multiple changes. So, and then the higher up you move in the food chain. So, if you're a VP of sales or VP of marketing or operations or president or CEO, 
it can take you six to 12 months at a minimum to find a new job. That's, that's in good times. So it can be even longer in bad times. So you've got to think about how long is it going to take me reasonably? And am I financially secure through that time? Because you make bad decisions when you're not. So I would say that that was the first step. I was able to, to do that and, and take that time. Second thing is, if you decide to do something else, and in my case, it was a franchise. So you're going to pay money you know, to get a franchise. Do you have the money available to do that? In other words, you, know, you shouldn't be making these decisions if you don't have to, where you're taking 401k money or 529 uh, money from your kid's college education. I didn't want to do any of that. So I, it was planning, purposeful financial planning. So I had those two buckets you know, in place. Second thing is, is that I wanted to, as I looked at the landscape of what I was, what I wanted to do, I always have liked to teach. I've always have liked to volunteer and give myself to other people to help them. And I also have been pretty good in the commercial kind of sales and marketing arena. So you have to take a real good look at yourself and say, where are your strengths and weaknesses? It's a make-by decision like in business school. What's good, what's bad, and focus on what's good that you do. So those were three things. So then I started to explore in those three areas. And I, I got opportunities in those areas to teach. And I got opportunities, you know, to look at different franchises and consult. So, you know, I think that you're, again, and I kind of said this before, your best decisions are made when you have multiple choices, right? So I had multiple choices and I was able to, to make the best choice for me. You shouldn't make a choice, I believe, especially with this type of kind of life and career change. When you're playing with house money and you have multiple choices, then you're going to make a passionate choice that's good for you as your next kind of job that you're going to take in. And then I think, you know, the last thing that I talked about and what I did is, you know, I looked for opportunities. Now, it wasn't a bad economy three years ago or three and a half years ago, but I looked for opportunities and I really investigated over the course of a, a month, you know, where's the market telling, you know, I'm not Apple. I, I don't have a great device that just can be overpriced and you wait in line for, right? I, I was an Apple. I had to look at what people were saying where the needs were in, in the market that I could access. So I talked to you know, probably 25 different companies and former CEOs and presidents and said, like me, what did you look for if someone was going to be an outside business consultant? What is it that you needed? And I catered my product, which eventually became my company, to what the needs were. And that's where I drove towards Mm-hmm. And so what is that? Where are you now? So what I did is I purchased a franchise from a company called Sales Acceleration. And what we do is similar to other franchise organizations. It's not a, you know, a, an Aroma Joe's or a Dunkin' Donuts franchise or a McDonald's franchise. It's a franchise for services that we sell directly into small to medium-sized businesses and what they are, products where we come in as an outsourced VP of sales or an outsourced chief revenue officer, and we build all the sales systems and infrastructure for companies to grow revenue when they don't know how to do it. So it might be a startup that's commercializing a product, and you know there are a bunch of engineers that made this widget, and they just need salespeople right, to do that. It could be a company that's 8 to $10 million, and they've been that way for five years, and they're family-owned, and the new you know, a uh, group of people's coming up to the family and they want to grow it to 20 million and they don't know why they're not growing. Or it can be a company that I help on a buy sell side transaction where they're looking to grow sales, obviously to either purchase the company or sell the company for the most amount of money. 
And how long do you typically work with companies? Yeah, it's a good question. So we have four or five different kind of products, generally speaking, and those engagements are anywhere from from you know three months to a year or longer, depending upon the needs of the company or um, how well you do, or you know how quickly those problems are solved. Okay, and um, what's an example of an outcome that um, that has come about because of your work? Yeah, so I'll answer that with giving you a statement and then I'll tell you some of the results. So most of the companies that we work with, the scenario that they have is that they have a revolving door. They have stagnant growth and they have a revolving door of, let's say, a director of sales or a VP of sales, which is a big watch out. So so they're they're going through looking for a miracle worker, someone who they think is going to come in and wave a magic wand and and their revenue is going to grow 30% per year. We know, and I know, that the reason why that happens is because they don't have the right systems and infrastructure in place. In other words, their sales operations and the building blocks are not built correctly, so it crumbles down on, on, on itself at all times. So once we build that, the results typically are a couple of things, and they're quantitative and, and qualitative. So the qualitative things are you've got a functioning organization in sales that works well throughout the entire firm or corporation they're all working together as a team and they they're they're focused in the right direction. So culturally there's a there's a big change. Second big change is most of the companies that we work with, the sales problem or the problem with that organization is systemic with the leadership. The leadership is kind of beating people over the head as opposed to um, just you know putting in a good organization that runs well. I think you know the analogy that I use is two things. One, Set up yourself like the New England Patriots to the New York Yankees, where the system in place, no matter what people who come in, they thrive and you do well because the system is there. That's number one. Number two, I use the concept of sales moneyball. Sales moneyball is, if you've ever watched the movie or read the book, it's the analytics and metrics that drive decisions in companies that for many years were not used in sales and they should have been used a long time ago. You know, sales is is not a sales is a function of understanding your metrics, driving towards the the numbers where you get results, and becoming more effective along the way. In other words, practicing more. So when we put those analytics in place, they make better decisions. And what is, ends up happening is culturally, it's better. Management is better. Your system is better, and it works. And then the results typically with most of the companies that I work with. So. You know, most of the companies are, you know, well-funded startups. Let's say they might have some revenue. Let's say a million dollars up to a fifty million dollar company is kind of the sweet spot where I work. Typically, when I come in, the results besides those qualitative results are the quantitative ones, and the quantitative ones are the analytics and metrics that I have are the following: um, funnel activity and the number of prospects that are going into the funnel that you can sell to typically goes up between forty and forty-four percent for the clients that I've worked with and the number of closes and 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 closes are business signed and booked typically goes up 20 to 25% and revenues really depend upon the type of business but average revenue increase in year 1 after I've worked with a company is anywhere from 20 to upwards of 50% in revenue increase over after our work is done that's a great great example so Dennis you've made a very successful transition from employment to entrepreneurship. You've been up and running now for a few years. You're really clear at what you do, who you serve, 
and where you're headed. If someone wants to get in touch with you, learn more about what you do or how you got to where you are, how would they do that? Yeah, so so two things. One is you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Dennis Boyle. And so, and you can see for, you know, sales acceleration. The other thing is too, is you can just send me an email. You know, I'm, I'm glad to help people, always want to help people as much as I can. So my email is dboyle at salesacceleration.com. And acceleration is spelled uh, X-C-E-L. So it's salesxceleration.com. Sounds great. Well, Dennis, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Going Solo. Share your experiences and your insights about how to manage a very challenging transition. You've done a great job. My guest today has been the president of Sales Acceleration, Dennis Boyle. Thank you again, Dennis, for joining us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. When you visit the Going Solo website, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. Today, we learned how to use scenario planning and alternatives to ensure long-term success and much more. If you'd like to share your story on going solo, or if you know someone who would, please get in touch with me via our website at smashingtheplateau.com. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them learn how to build a successful business after a late career job loss. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.